Dracula. I am Dracula. And I bid you welcome, Mr. Hart, to my heart. Come. Our first award goes to the vampires for most blood drained in a single evening. The strength of the vampire is that people will not believe in him. fellow vampire lovers. The sun is going down and you know what that means. It's time for me to record another episode of my podcast, The Beautiful Dead. As always, I'm your host, Lena Nazari. Quickest thing that you can do, go to lenanazari.com, sign up for my fanged family. You'll get alerts from me when I have new appearances, uh, when I plan my episodes, any updates with the book. That's how you find out. Um, Links to my social media are on that page, as well as my appearances. Speaking of which, when this episode drops, I will be in my last day of Monster Mania. So hopefully you already follow me on social media and you've been seeing the pictures I've been posting from that con. Uh, Hopefully I get to meet all the people from Scream, which I'm pretty excited about. But most importantly, my next one will be Creation in Nashville and then in January, Fan Expo Nolans. I'm so excited to go back to New Orleans. Oh my gosh. So, all right. Speaking of New Orleans, I have my vampire tea here. The reason I say that is because you can buy this at the Boutique du Vampire. You can also order it online. So you can find the links to that in the descriptions. Um, But you need to go check out the Vampire Tea Company. And tonight I'm doing Nosferati. Nosferati. And this is a black tea with um, cherry, oh, two types of cherry, and almond and mango bits. This one always reminds me of like um, trail mix when you're hiking. Big fan. And I have it in my Buffy the Vampire Slayer mug here, my Sunnydale High mug here. So that's what we're doing for our tea tonight. Go check that out. All right, I want to jump right into this one because I'm very excited. If you've never listened to this podcast or watched this channel, massive spoiler alerts. I am going to ruin everything. I will tell you who hooks up with who, who breaks up with who, who kills who, how they die, all that good stuff. So don't get mad at me if you now listen to this and you've never seen this before and now it's all ruined. So we are doing Forever Night. (laughs) If you've never seen this, do yourself a favor and go watch it. I was having such nostalgia as I was watching this. I found it on DVD, so I was able to watch all three seasons. I think the first two seasons are available for free, maybe on Prime. You have to pay for the third. The third is a little harder to find because it's owned by different people. I think sci-fi? I don't know. Why am I trying to say this stuff when I didn't do the research? So dumb. Anywho, let's summarize. <laughs> I'm so excited talking about this. Oh my gosh. If anybody from this show ever watches this, I will die. Make a comment on here that you were in the show and I will actually die. All right. 
This series follows the adventures of Nick Knight, a Toronto cop working the graveyard shift, of course, with his partner Donald Skanky. Unbeknownst to most of his colleagues, Nick is actually Nicholas, a centuries-old vampire. His human surname was referenced to his status as a literal knight in medieval France. Remorseful over centuries spent as a vampiric, cold-hearted killer, Nicholas works as a cop and often ends up using his special abilities to bring criminals to justice. Whenever he works on his cases, Nicholas remembers similar situations from previous lifetimes as these appear in flashbacks in the episodes. Nicholas explains his need to work on night shift by claiming to have a skin disorder, photodermatitis, which requires him to stay out of the sun. Refusing to feed from humans, he survives by drinking bottled animal blood, something that most vampires find repulsive. The only human who knows his true nature is his friend Natalie Lambert, a city medical examiner who doesn't like Nicholas using his special powers as she believes it will increase his need for blood. Thought that was interesting. Nicholas's ultimate dream is to find a way to become human once again, but his quest for redemption is complicated by the arrival of fellow vampires, Lucien Lacroix and Jeanette Ducharme. <sighs> French names. <laughs> Lucien Lacroix, who was a general in the early Roman Empire and who was turned into a vampire by his daughter Divia as Mount Vesuvius erupted in 79 AD, originally is the one to make Nick a vampire in 1228. Jeanette was also brought across by Lacroix before he brought Nick across. They were Nick's companions for many centuries until he left them seeking redemption and a way to reclaim his lost humanity. This is sounding an awful lot like something else. Just saying. Anywho. <laughs> they were Nick's companions, blah, blah, blah. He left to reclaim his lost humanity. Jeanette now runs a nightclub while LaCroix works as a late night talk radio host. While Jeanette is scornful yet tolerant of Nicholas's new life, LaCroix ultimately attempts to seduce his protege back to a more violent life. During the series, Nick has two partners. The first two seasons is Don Skanky. At the beginning of the third season, Detective Skanky dies in an airplane explosion caused by a bomber, and Nick is assigned a new partner, Tracy Vetter, a rookie detective who gets the assignment due to her father's high-ranking position in the police force. Tracy finds herself increasingly attracted to Javier Vachon, also a new character who is also a vampire who used to be a conquistador. Nick and Vashon know about each other, and Tracy knows Vashon is a vampire, but never knows Nick is a vampire. Although Nick continues to protect the innocent civilians, he faces circumstances that risk the exposure of the vampire community, who up till this point were unknown to other humans. Nick is faced with the choice to either move on or attempt to recapture his humanity through a method that puts Natalie's life in the balance. At that point, LaCroix appears and indicates the time to leave is near and he must either bring Natalie over or leave her to die. Nicholas decides that neither option is acceptable and hands LaCroix a wooden stake. We do not see what LaCroix does, but we hear him say, Damn you, Nicholas, in stress and frustration, and the scene cuts out to the building where Nick lives and a shot of the sun. 
The ending is left to the viewer's interpretation, but the implication is that Nick dies with LaCroix's help, hoping to join Natalie in the afterlife. If this was super duper confusing, it's okay. I'm going to try and break it down the best I can. But remember that we are covering three seasons of material. All right, let's do it. Forever night. Ah! Um, vampiric references and crossovers. So Nigel Bennett, who plays LaCroix, was in this and also in V Wars and The Strain. And yes, they're on my list. John Capellos was skanky in this and he was in an episode of Angel. Which is what part of this sounds like. Patrick Gallagher was in one episode of this and then he was Chow in True Blood. If you guys don't know who I'm talking about... It's like in the very first season, he is um, one of the vampires in the, in like, that's part of Eric's posse. Trivia. Ranked number 23 on TV Guide's top cult shows ever. And then I was reading into this behind the scenes and I learned that the, that famous monologue in the beginning that every actor took turns recording the monologue in the opening credits, and it was Nigel's recording that was finally chosen. I thought that was neat. I should do the recording. If I have time, I'll do it for you guys. And if I have time, I probably won't be able to slap it on the podcast, but you'll see it on the YouTube channel. So if I had time to do it, I'll enter it right here. If not, it's because I was too busy. All right, my favorite game. How many actors were in this and also in Supernatural? I hoped because of where it was filmed that I was going to get to see somebody. And by the mid-second season, I gave up hope. And then I saw him. Julian Richings. Yes, he was in an episode of Forever Night and was Death 1.0 in Supernatural Let's talk about the vampires. Relationships to humans. The vampires walk and work amongst the humans. They feed on them or sleep with them, but they stay hidden. So think about like the masquerade. That's very much what this feels like. The humans are not supposed to know about the vampires. That being said, over the course of the show, Nick exposes himself and tells the truth to so many stinking people. I lost sight. I mean, I lost count. I was like, Nick is spilling the secret to everybody. Um, I never saw anything about animals, particularly only there's one type of vampire that feeds on animals. And we'll talk about that. Appearance. They appear human. You would never know they were a vampire until they vamp out. And we will talk about what that means. We know that they can grow hair because we see Nick with facial hair and no facial hair, long hair and short hair. And when they vamp out, um, some have yellow eyes, some have red eyes, and then of course the fangs. And even the medical examiner says it. Two neat little holes. Two fangs, as it should be. Blood. Yes, plays a very, very big part in the show. The vampires love blood. Like I said, you can drink cow blood if you have to. They sweat blood. In one episode, a vampire is injecting her blood into humans, and it keeps them young, but it does eventually wear off. We see brain damage that's reversed in a human because of vampire blood injections. But this one actually comes with the side effect of, like, increased violence. And then once they stop doing the injections, the damage returns to the brain. So blood plays a very big part in this show. 
food. So yes, in this one, they do have an aversion to garlic, which we don't see too often anymore, but this one does. That being said, we see Nick taking garlic pills. Um, that is um, Natalie's idea, because she's like, I, I want to try and ex slowly expose you and then see if we can kind of break down the vampire virus, I guess. So he's like taking these um, garlic pills. Um, most vampires cannot eat food. We never see them drink anything but blood. However, Nick is going through this process of like trying to turn off the vampire virus. And at one point he's like so close to being mortal that he eats French fries. And we also at one point in time, see him drink a blood replacement that was made by Natalie. <clears throat> true blood, true blood, like true blood. So yeah. Sunlight. So Nick tells the boss he's allergic to sunlight, like we said. Um, that's how he gets on straight nights. And at one point in time, they're like, oh, I don't care. You're coming. So he's in the car. He's got sunglasses on. He's got like everything covered. We see like smoking starting to happen with the little parts of the sun that does touch him. Um, he also is using like tiny, small sun exposures to try and undo the vampirism. He has a sunbed in his apartment. So... It's a complicated relationship with the sun Nicholas has. Sleep. We don't, um, they don't have to sleep when the sun comes up. We do see him up during the day. He just can't be in the sun. We see him take shelter from the sun in the trunk of his car, which is why he drives the car he does, because it has the biggest trunk. He, he even says that himself. Um, he just sleeps in a bed or on the couch, so he doesn't have a coffin. Um, you would just need like really good sun blocking curtains, really. Uh, but we do see some vampires who do sleep in coffins. So the basement of Jeanette's club has a bunch of coffins where a bunch of vampires stay at night. So some sleep in coffins, maybe they're classic. They just like to be old school. Um, but Nick does not. Holy items. So this is an interesting twist. Yes, they can be repelled and hurt by holy objects. Um, we see Nick hold one and it burns the shape of a cross into his palm. So kind of classic, um, which I think would be really inconvenient in the modern day. Because uh, how do you explain that one away, right? Like there's religious icons everywhere now. Rules. So the vampires can be photographed. They can be caught on video. Um, if they are, if humans get evidence of vampires, then there are like enforcers whose job it is to get rid of either the evidence or the human. Nick is seen in a mirror in one episode and he even says, I can only cast reflections sometimes. We know there's no rule against turning children because we do see this in a flashback during World War II. Young vampires need to be invited in, but as they grow in age, they grow in power, and then they no longer need to be invited in. Powers. A lot of powers, a lot of good powers in these vamps. Nick is in a hostage situation, and he can see through the door, so he has, like, x-ray vision. They can fly, they don't age, they live forever. So when the show starts... Nick is 800. Uh, LaCroix is 2000. They have heightened hearing, strength, speed. They have like a level of mind control, my favorite vampire power. Um, they heal very, very quickly. We see Nick shot a lot. That boy gets shot a lot. Yes. 
How are they made? So it isn't until the 12th episode of the second season that we actually get to see the full turning of Nick. So I finally got to see it. As somebody who's like taking notes for a podcast for research to bring you guys all this information, there are some shows that make it impossible to piece these things together. So finally, by the middle of the second season, I was like, great, here we go. So he imagines being in... So LaCroix drains everything from Nick. Then Nick is imagining being in the light and talking to this figure who forces him to choose between death and coming back as an immortal. Meanwhile, while this is happening, LaCroix is putting his cut wrist wrist into Nick's mouth and Nick does choose to drink. So it's the classic embrace. You have your blood drained, then you drink the vampire's blood. But what we got to see was the experience of the person being turned, which is them going into the light and having to choose. And then, like I said, we were going to talk about a different type of vampire, and that is a Karush. A Karush is a type of vampire whose first kill was animal instead of human. So Karush's then hunger for that type of animal's blood, though any even human can sustain them just as like any other vampire. So like if your first kill was a cat, then you crave cat blood. And that's a Karush. And they um, look a little more, a little less human, but not that much different. Heartbeat and breathing. We got an answer to this one. Um, Nick says his heart beats a few times every 10 minutes and their respirations are also extremely slow. So heartbeat and breathing does happen um, just at a very, very, very low rate. So as a nurse, I, I was like, uh, one beat every 10 minutes, that's insane. But we at least we get the answer. How do they die? This one is a little complicated. So there is a Mayan cup that when you drink from it can cure vampirism. But it's shattered in the second episode, so we'll never know if it works. One of the vampires that Nick made in the past, before she was made vampire, she wanted a baby. And then later they cross paths again, and she's trying to get pregnant with a mortal because she believes that getting pregnant with a mortal will turn her back human. Natalie is working on turning Nick back into a mortal, and we see it work a little bit, but ultimately... He is a vampire and stays a vampire till the end. It's also revealed in season three, in a season three episode called Human Factor, that a vampire could regain their mortality by slowly feeding on a mortal who truly loved them and they loved in return. So like the blood of a loved one can turn you back mortal if you take a little bit at a time. Um, as for the full true death, I want to give a shout out to LaCroix because he listed it for me beautifully. Fire, stake through the heart, sun, decapitation. And then I just want to say Jeanette actually um, is one of the ones who doesn't die. She actually does turn back human. And the implication is that she she did this thing of like feeding off of somebody who she loves and they love in return. And I believe she has a child at one point. So good for her. Good for Jeanette. Um, and then, of course, we, it is implied that Nick dies at the end because he tried to feed from Natalie the same way that Jeanette slowly fed from someone they love. But he took too much in the beginning because he had been starving himself for too long. And he kills Natalie, which is why he asks LaCroix to kill him. 
Are they good or are they bad? I think you know where this is going because we have talked about this so many times. In this world, the vampires can choose. Are they going to be good or are they going to be bad? They, they make that decision. So we see vampires who live bad lives for a few centuries and then try and become good. Vampires who always stay good. Vampires who always stay bad. Personality trait. Tropes I love and tropes I hate. You guys know I love a good flashback. And there were so many flashbacks in this. And that's what's so great about vampire material is because you can use flashbacks. So you can see them in different historical parts. You know, we get to see um, LaCroix in, in the Roman Empire and we get to see them in World War II and we get to see them in medieval times and we get to see them, you know, and then to make it even better in... Um, these flashbacks, we even get to hear different languages, and I love that. Um, we get to see famous figures. I love when they work in famous figures. So um, in What We Do in the Shadows, we saw Elvis. In Only Lovers Left Alive, we saw Shakespeare. So in this one, we get to see some historical figures um, off the top of my head. Joan of Arc was one of them. Hitler was one of them. So we get to see like different figures throughout history. And I love that. Tropes I hate. So for a majority of the time, when the vampires are showing dominance, they make like a growling sound. It's almost like a large predatory cat. That being said, there it is. There was some hissing. There was some hissing. Not a big fan of that, but it's fine. It's I forgive it. Here it is, everybody's favorite. It's the ratings. How scary or evil are the vampires of Forever Night? So we're talking about a lot of vampires over the course of three seasons, so you have to bear with me, but they can mesmerize, fly, throw a man across a football field, but they burn in the sun. However, there's lots of ways for them to, you know, avoid the sunlight. Um, there are ways for them to be out in the daytime if they had to, like we saw Nick in the car. You can shoot them, stab them, hit them with a car. They're going to keep coming after you. That being said, they do have morals. They do fall in love. So they're not truly evil. Not fully evil. So, boop, 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 boop. We did it. We threw it into the calculation machine. And that is 6 out of 10 stakes to the heart. For the Vampires of Forever Night. Not bad. That's a solid score. So, we're kind of right in the middle. So, how sexy or alluring are the Vampires of Forever Night? Oh boy, howdy. Is Nick affectionate? I swear he kisses every woman he comes across. Many of them get more than kisses. I mean, I'm not judging. I'm not shaming him. He's been around 800 years. Who cares what his body count is, right? Um, in that time, there's a lot of interactions. Some of them are going to be sexual. Uh, that being said, the vampires are just innately very sensual creatures in this show. They're used to getting what they want um, or need. <laughs> so we have to ask ourselves, are they more sexy than evil? And the answer is yes. So that results in an 8 out of 10 onks for sexiness and allure. 
solid. And that's the men and the women. Jeanette was very sexy. Nick was very sexy. Very sensual creatures. 8 out of 10. That's solid. My thoughts. This show ran from 1992 to 1996. It was prime time for vampires. It was the same time that brought us Interview with the Vampire, Bram Stoker's Dracula, all of the best. I remember watching the first season and absolutely loving it. I don't think I watched seasons two or three. I do remember the first one, but I, I think this might have been the first time I completed the whole series. I loved seasons one and two. I watched them so fast. I was binging. I was loving them. I watched them on the treadmill. I watched it like, love them. Oh, good goddess. Season three was just horrible. I got halfway through season three and had to stop it. And it took me a while to get back to it. Like a, a good while. And I had to really force myself to get back to it. So finally I was like, this is just too different. Something's very, very wrong. What happened? So I'm going to read this directly from the Forever Night episode guide. Okay. A massive fan campaign brought back the show for a third season. However, they were unaware of the extensive changes this would cause. The show was now a joint production between USA Network and Sci-Fi Channel. USA would show an episode and then it would air on Sci-Fi. Midway through the season, USA dropped the show altogether and Sci-Fi finished off the season. During the season, the show lost much of its humor and its spark. Many of the older characters became moody, depressed, cranky, and the whole show was darker. The entire dynamic of the series changed. USA had emphasized the new young characters trying to appeal to the hip crowd, as well as adding in more sex and trying to make the show more dark and gritty, but it backfired on them. They tried to make the show into what it was never meant to be. The spirit of the older characters seemed to be broken, and the new characters never seemed to catch on. There were fans that really liked the new characters, and many of them were just now discovering the show, but the long-time viewers were very disappointed with the way things turned out. And that could not be better said. The way that they did, Natalie and, and Nicholas, was so disappointing. I mean... I just, I hate what they did to Natalie, especially. She was such a strong character. She was a scientist. She was working so hard to help Nick. And then suddenly she just became like this depressed, moody, like whiny girl who inevitably dies because she throws herself at Nick. I, I just hate what they did to her. It felt so rushed. It felt like they all went to the writer's room and said, can we please just end this and go home? And they just wrote something down and they were like, great, throw it out there. Give it to the actors. The actors will do anything. I'm done. And they just walked away. Now on a happy note, there were a couple great quotes that came out of the show. And there's one that I am definitely going to add to my repertoire that will keep coming around. Genius. Are you ready? Immortality is no excuse to not floss. <laughs> I laughed out loud when I heard that line. There's a couple really, really good lines in the show. Uh, most of them in the first and second season. But uh, I think that's enough of Forever Night. 
I think probably in a couple years I'll probably rewatch it all over again. If you guys really want to watch it, it, first two seasons are available for free. Don't watch the third season. Just create your own ending in your head. You can thank me later. So next week we are covering The Boys from County Hell. It is available on Prime. I highly recommend you go watch it before you come back next week to see my review. Just gonna say that, okay? Normally I don't like to give away my thoughts, but do yourself a favor and go watch it. And then we'll meet back here in one week to talk about the boys from County Hell. As always, I love you guys so, so much. I wish you wicked hugs and bloody kisses. Good evening.